Hi, wherever you're listening to me, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakli and this is today's Tech Briefing. In this program, at the Series B and C stage, uh, a lot of things which the founders have set out to start, like you know, to do, at least the early green shoots we see. So one advantage which we would have or somebody like us would have is that there is real metrics and numbers which speaks. That's after these headlines. PayPal is looking to buy Pinterest, which allows people to collect and share content about their interests as the US payments giant moves to expand into online commerce. PayPal could pay about $70 a share, valuing Pinterest at $39 billion, according to multiple reports that cited Bloomberg, which reported the news first yesterday. PayPal shares fell and Pinterest stock jumped on the report. Facebook is planning to change its name next week to reflect its focus on building the metaverse and its ambition to be seen as much more than a social media company, The Verge reported on October 19th. Facebook has already announced plans to hire 10,000 people in Europe to advance its plans to build a metaverse, which is a virtual world on the internet in which people could have digital avatars for work and play. CEO Mark Zuckerberg plans to talk about the name change at the company's annual Connect conference on October 28th, but it could be announced sooner, according to The Verge. The change is seen as something similar to how Google restructured itself to become one of the companies under parent Alphabet. Facebook could similarly be one of many products under a parent company overseeing units including Instagram, WhatsApp and Oculus, according to The Verge. Apple is conducting a series of more than 100 online live sessions for developers called Tech Talks and offering 1500 office hours over the next eight weeks to offer developers access to information, tips and tutorials on its latest technologies. Tech Talks will provide an opportunity for developers to directly connect with Apple experts to learn more about new technologies, ask questions and receive one-on-one guidance. They will also serve as a new way for developers to share direct feedback with Apple team members about their experiences building and distributing apps on the App Store, Apple said in a press release yesterday. Sessions will be conducted online from Apple locations around the world in multiple time zones, including Bangalore, Cupertino, London, Mexico City, Sao Paulo, Seoul, Shanghai, Singapore, Sydney, Tel Aviv and Tokyo. Startup salaries in India have jumped over the last six months. Rezape, a payments platform and digital banking company for business customers, reports based on data from its customers. The pandemic caused many startups to freeze performance appraisals and increments last year, but between April and September this year, the scenario has reversed, with edtech, fintech and electronics being some of the sectors that witnessed a significant increase in salary spends, according to Razorpay. Total salary spends rose 43% based on data on 25,000 employees from 360 startups in more than 15 sectors that use Razorpay's products and platforms. Some of the other findings include a 52% increase in organizations that disbursed bonuses, a 30% increase in employee headcount, a 14% increase in employee headcount in entry-level roles, and a 50% rise in reimbursements in the last six months compared to the previous six months. Anand Prasanna's investment career has led him to back companies in India, China, and then back in India across multiple marquee investment firms. Over the last five years, Anand and his fellow partners at their own VC firm Iron Pillar, currently raising its second fund, have been backing startups with an Indian heritage that have found customers worldwide. 
I spoke with Anand about Iron Pillar's strategy of finding companies at the Series B stage and beyond and helping them to tap multi-billion dollar market opportunities. He also had some advice for aspiring VC investors. Here's more from our conversation. Anand, welcome to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this. And uh, I know that there are some pretty interesting startups that you all have uh, invested. And uh, on the tech front, uh, I'm aware of Unifor and uh, uh, Course Tech, uh, something that interested me. And uh, tell us a bit about uh, Iron Pillar's uh, first fund and some of the promising startups in the portfolio. Thank you, Harit, for the opportunity. Uh, it's always great to speak to you. Indeed. Uh, look, you know, this is like uh, you're asking you choose between children. <laughs> so all of them are promising startups. Um, we don't have, you know, luckily, we don't have any companies which are in trouble or any kind of challenges today. We just say, we're very proud to say that. Um, and a uh, few of those companies are actually like totally outperforming in terms of even our expectations, which is all the credit goes to the founders. Like our first fund was a 90 million, nine zero million fund uh, in 2018, and it invested into each companies. And if I had to kind of pick out some great performing companies from there, you just mentioned Unifor, Speechy, I discussed, uh, headquartered in Palo Alto, but uh, we're very proud of the fact that they are actually IIT Chennai spin-out, and uh, the product is built out of Chennai, India. Uh, then there's another great company in the portfolio, which is more on the consumer side, but again, building for global markets is fresh to come. Uh, it's a company which is uh, pretty, really rapidly growing, not only in India, but also in the Middle East. And it's actually a business with significant backend integration to the farmers and the fishermen, et cetera, which again, here, something which we as a firm is extremely proud of is the fact that on top of being a phenomenally great business with our large markets being profitable, et cetera, I growing super fast. It also makes it impact for thousands and thousands of farmers and fishermen in the country. Um, now, another company which I would like to kind of uh, mention also is Servify in Fund One. Uh, it's one of those underrated companies, Travi, like you know, people don't know much about what this company does because like, and I don't really, it's in front of people. But again, another amazing business, those numbers are just going through the roof even after pandemic, etc., which we believe will be a multi-billion dollar outcome for us. Uh, it's in the insured tech space, primarily in the extended warranty and uh, all the software around making sure that after sales service of people like Apple and Samsung started perfectly well. As I understand, you focus uh, more on the growth stage part of uh, startup series B onwards. Uh, what yes. do you look for? I mean, you know, in the early stage, uh, we see investors often talk about uh, founders' pedigree and things like that. Uh, when you're looking at series B, C and beyond, what do you look for in founders and startups? And what is your approach? Yeah, a great question, actually. There's not just one thing. And if I go into a detailed answer, that would be a 10, 15 minute answer for this question. So I'll try to be short about this. Um, look, at the series B and C stage, uh, a lot of things which the founders have set out to start, like, you know, to do, at least the early green shoots would see. So one advantage which we would have or somebody like us would have is that there is real metrics and numbers which speaks. It's not just a vision speaking, etc. So 
one part of our analysis is actually like, hey, is the numbers or is it, and numbers can be different kind depending on the number companies. Are these funding up against the vision and strategy? All the way is like you say, execution holding up to the vision. That's one important thing. And for that, the numbers, et cetera, or what have they done on making sure something's happened is important. The other side of it is like we very, very much focus on founders who can actually scale their teams and out capacity. So one of the learnings which we have had always is look, the journey from say zero to one for a founder, which is not the journey where we partner with them. That's not our skill set. Is a, a significantly founder at our straight pitch and most all founders. Even if you take a company to a million to ten million dollars in your revenue. It is a lot of that can be actually founder led. But after that, the founder's role is actually a lot leadership and team rather than doing. Because uh, they will definitely need to surround themselves with people who are smarter than them, who can execute better than them, so that they can actually scale to 200, 300 million dollar revenues. In fact, we now are going to be thinking about hey, is this a founder who can actually build that billion dollar revenue company? That's the kind of people whom we want to go on back. So we spend a lot of time understanding their ability to kind of build great teams, the right culture inside the company, which can assimilate all that kind of things, et cetera. And um, so we, we give a lot of weightage to that aspect. Uh, we also give a lot of weightage to the market size because ultimately um, everything done said, if you want to build a billion dollar revenue company, you better be a very massive market where the revenue per ratio of the market itself is in five year plus size at least. Right? So we only go after very large market opportunities. We don't go after niche market opportunities. That's another thing which um, yeah, we kind of consider quite a lot. Mm. You mentioned earlier uh, about uh, predominantly tech companies which have an India heritage but can be global companies. Of course, today there's a much greater awareness and also a more enabling ecosystem, uh, uh, in fact, with VCs like uh, Iron Pillar, helping founders to do that, go from India quickly to the US, etc. Yes. You come across instances where uh, Indian founders have started directly in Silicon Valley and then set up development centers in Bangalore or Hyderabad. Do you see this happening in other sectors? I mean, in SaaS, it's kind of a given today. Uh, what about other sectors and any good examples that you come across? So, interestingly, like, you know, if you... Uh, SaaS for sure, and I'll tell you a little bit more about how we are doing our small contribution in that space. But directly answering your question first, uh, there are, and we are seeing consumer-focused global businesses where product development is happening in India. Uh, but these are like global pedigree investors uh, who are sorry, global pedigree founders. Just to get a thing in perspective, Sean of Fresh Hope. Uh, who is building a India plus Middle East and you know, literally all Asia or even probably more global business. Uh, he was from Zynga and uh, like an in, in Valley, he's a family founder. His first set of investors are people like Peter Thiel and Mark Pinkers and you know, all the Silicon Valley tech investors. And then we came in and uh, let their series be. But when you look at Sean, he's, he's not like a India founder that way. I mean, it's a global founder who got backed by global investors to invest into uh, an, an opportunity which include India predominantly, but also can go global in the consumers. 
Um, there are many other examples of that nature, um, which we're seeing today. So that will be the next generation. In fact, I would say we would, we would probably see a dozen unicorns coming out of consumer businesses or non-SaaS businesses, which are built from India for the world uh, within the next four or five years. So uh, one other piece which I want to tell is like we have put together something called Iron Pillar Network. So Ironfiller Network today is a 29-member, mostly Silicon Valley CEOs and CXOs uh, network. And what the network does is like these are very senior people who are in like large companies like Google and Facebook and Snowflake and uh, SAP and all, who can actually help a lot of companies which are at early stage, which we tend to like. So while like it may be a series A company, which is back with Sequoia or Axel. And uh, we would just go and help them actively, much before our money goes, because it's in our interest to ensure that some of the best companies or best founders are building from India are successful. Because in that ecosystem, have to develop, it's not just our companies. So that, like if you're a great founder who's listening to this and you're building something from India for the world, and you think that, look, I need some help, and I'll probably reach out to us. So today, how does in India, the whole uh, Indian startup ecosystem compare in terms of its evolution and maturity when you compare it with uh, China or uh, Silicon Valley? Yeah, great question. I always get asked this China question, and I'm like, like these, uh, my one caveat is these are completely different markets, so sometimes it's kind of unfair to try to compare these things. Uh, because China is actually more like a single engine, but a very large consumption engine, right? Uh, if you think about data, say car, versus uh, in India, it'd be like it's a car with two different engines, just like domestic consumption. Yes, there are big companies. Probably that consumption market today is not the same as what is China even three or four years back. It's significantly ahead, but it is sizable. And probably the the last real sizable market in the world, which makes it much more interesting for a lot of people than even China. On the other hand, you've had the global enterprises as businesses which are getting built and eventually even consumer businesses globally focused, but built from India, which had become already around half the market is actually that. And that will also become larger. So India has this twin engines. So the first difference is that it's not just one particular market, it's two different markets. Uh, that being said, now where are we compared to these markets, etc.? So I would say what we are seeing today in India is very similar to what literally happened after Al- Alibaba IPO happened in China, right? You know, then there's a point of time in which companies are literally starting and getting to unicorn series within like in 12 months, 18 months, 24 months. If somebody don't get to unicorn in three years, you're probably a failure. That kind of thought process that people had, like, and then, then nobody wanted to talk to them. So the pace of company building is accelerating, and it is going to continue to accelerate even faster in India, whether it is enterprise or consumer, both sides, uh, and that will have an impact on the value created, and unfortunately, sometimes even destroyed. Because if you are a founder and you have a great company, and you just Keep your eye off the ball for six months because of whatever reason, and you come back and suddenly see that there are like five large, well-funded guys who would be probably 
nipping on your heels already. So you got to actually consistently execute. It's a hard job. So I'm not saying that it is easy, uh, but it, it, it looked more like 2015 to this channel for me at this point of time. Uh, and the enterprise side, if I really go back and compare to where U.S. enterprises and uh, U.S. especially sciences compared to ones being built from India, uh, it again looked more like we are catching up with the global enterprise companies faster. So today there are some companies, for example, you take a look at Unifor or a Postman or a Coalstack or Jiffy, etc. These companies, their products are actually competing directly with their global peers. They're getting invested by Silicon Valley investors. Uh, They are getting like when they're getting the comms which are comparable to Silicon Valley investors, and they'll be their own aspiring to go IPO in Nasdaq. So there we are actually getting kind of parity with whatever is happening, at least in the few companies which are building scale uh, with whatever is happening globally. So it'll get much more integrated. People think about global SaaS and it doesn't matter whether it is built from US or Europe or India or Israel. Mm. What would you say is still missing in the Indian VC ecosystem? A lot, right? And so enterprise and building to the globe, I would say, there's specific skills. So if you go to Silicon Valley, it's actually much more easier for you to hire somebody who's got like 25 years of enterprise sales experience. And there's a very specific way in which you can engage them, get them closed, and get them focused on stuff. So I would say talent, especially go-to-market talent for people who are building from India to the world, is actually very, very less in India. So for that talent, you've got to go to Silicon Valley. That's one of the reasons why. And all these companies have to go and open an office in the U.S. Obviously, some of these is where we need to have front end. So that's one. So how do you integrate much more closely as an ecosystem with global talent available? While we are developing our own talent, is always a challenge. One of the reasons why we do IPM and things like that, so that that is actually the talent pool. Or or there, they can open up their own rights to the talent. Um, Other things... Like I was having a conversation with a founder yesterday also about this. Um, look, we've come a long way, and don't get me wrong, uh, in the last decade, especially, and I think last three, four years, even more. Uh, but still, there is a lot of companies where systems and processes and like other, there is a way to scale without breaking. We do see many terms in Indian companies uh, they're still not adapting the global best practices of how to actually scale the business to the next level, right? There's so many examples of like, it's just somebody in enterprise is telling like, look, I'm, I was in this company and like literally if I am pitching to somebody like everything specialized, et cetera, like I have it exactly at a particular place. There's a proper way in which the entire sales process flows, et cetera. While some of Indian companies have done that and done that very well, uh, not a lot of them have done that. So I think uh, a lot of professionalization to scale businesses is still like something which needs to happen. Uh, in consumer tech also, by the way, like there's a lot of things which like you're still working on systems and processes where you are a $20 million company, when you are a $100 million company, things will break. 
But this kind of loops back uh, to your earlier question about what is missing. Uh, the people who do those things are also missing. There are only very few of those people who are seeing those kind of things. So people don't know what to do. So that's an ecosystem. We need to kind of create more on learning and how to kind of manage these things. And, and again, I'm very sure many, many people are trying to kind of pierce this gap at this point in time. Mm. You know, from the perspective of uh, helping aspiring, uh, I know, VC uh, investors, people are looking at the VC industry for a career uh, who can tap your experience. Uh, just switching gears a little bit, tell us a bit about how uh, you got into uh, investing and venture investing. What decided you on this path? Oh, look, you know, I was doing my BBA uh, back in, I don't know, when I was 18, 19 years. That's the first time I started my first company. So, like, you know, entrepreneurship was already there uh, in the blood somehow. And um, that is, I enjoyed that part with my MBA. Working more like an entrepreneurial company first before uh, going to McKinsey and then Sequoia, et cetera, and, and just learning the ropes properly. Um, I think a few things are quite important. The two routes in which you can actually go into venture capital, just being very, very plainly. Uh, one is the um, usual, I would say, corporate route, uh, or like you know, the investing corporate route, like it could be anything from a large consulting firm to large investment banking firm, et cetera. And then you shift a career from the, that side, consulting on the bank side to uh, investing side, comparatively earlier or in your career. That's the path which I have taken. Uh, I think the other path, which will become more and more relevant, especially in a market like India and where we have comparatively less people in that path today, but I hope it would be much more, is people who have real operating experience. I mean, the people who have Brand a company, like how many ex-founders are really starting a new front? Now, thankfully, like you know, we are seeing more and more people, like whether it's Grish or uh, like you know, the Pine Lab guys, people like that who are stepping up and seeing like uh, Asha Dream 11 starting in front. That's extremely exciting for me because uh, it's not only them, even their v- senior VPs and people like that. I think rich funds should hire these kind of people who can really bring in value. So for us, also the reason why we sell IPN is actually more around that because it's just real operational value rather than just only investing angle of things. Like not, not, not just a financial mark, but the operational mind. So that's, that's all the way of going about doing that. But ultimately, like, look, you know, I want to say one thing. A lot of this, our business is also about luck. So... For a lot of these people who are going to the career, they have to understand that venture capital is one of the most riskiest career they can take in, in, your, in their life. Many people think that life of a VC, VC, though it's actually much more difficult with times than a life of a founder. Many people laugh, but that's actually the truth. Uh, if you are a genuine VC who's really working closely with the founders and building companies, then it's a very, very hard work, working job. But the fruits are also very rewarded uh, for doing that. Mm. I mean, think a lot about these points a little bit more. Uh, what would you mm. look for if you were looking to hire someone to work for you at Iron Pillar? So mm. when we look at hiring people, um, again, there's no one person who fits all. Probably we have different functions. But I would think you could stress more than even do if you're looking at an investment professional, right? We look at two kinds of people typically. 
One is the kind of people who are um, extremely analytical because numbers do matter if you're a growth state investment firm. So people who know the numbers, who actually knows the way structured or process oriented, et cetera, and who can actually really bring that analytical rigor to our team when we look at things and also bring the same thing to our founders and their companies when they want to go to the next level, which many of these founders have significantly appreciated. And eventually that, what happens is like, we may even go and help these companies hire such people full-time inside their firms, et cetera, to run their strategy or a CFO and all that stuff. The second set of people whom we look at is people who have real industry experience. Like say, for example, someone like the Dave, who is our VP, right? And so he's actually built a company, sold a company, and then he has actually um, joined us. Or Ashok, who's my partner, he's a two-time entrepreneur who built two companies. Uh, they're not double type. They're actually like, I will not say both of them are like analytical people, but you know, like they're more execution. It's like, let's just make sure that this company actually get ABC done because that is the ask of the company for from us this month. But we go that process, like say, for example, yesterday morning, we were sitting down at uh, one of our portfolio companies and saying, okay, this is a monthly strategy call. How did last month go? And then, these are the ask, three hours the company had on nine for How can uh, have we delivered it or not? And what are the new three hours? That's a process which you go for every month. So we like people who can actually go in and get that thing done. So that's the next set of people who you look at. But that's the hard part of things, uh, as in like hard skills part of things. The softest skills part of things which you look at is always. Like, we are not a shopper board firm. We are actually like, there is no one person's deals. In many terms, many, many firms I have heard, like, oh, this is X person's deals. In Antilla, there is no Anand's deal or Bonjit's deal or Shook's deal or something like that. It's all Antilla deals. And every partner, depending on where that partner can actually add value. So, as I said, firms ask, our companies ask us different asks every month. And then we'll see, okay, for this else, this is the person in the team who can actually add the most value. So that person will actually make it happen. And there'll be always a point person for that company whose job is to ensure that that person actually add that value because everybody is busy. So it's kind of a different model than a typical VC fund. So for us, it's important that that team cohesion, thinking of a team, thinking as a team, working as a team, enjoying that part, et cetera, rather than, um, like there are many great people who I've seen who are individually brilliant, but uh, I don't think an individually brilliant person, but not a good team player, don't survive that. Mm. Very interesting conversation, uh, Anand. Uh, thank you so much again for making time for this. Uh, I definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Absolutely, Eric. Pleasure talking to you, and thank you for all that. That was Anand Prasanna. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Thank you for listening.